would ask that you turn your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 3 as we do that. Uh, somebody asked me this morning if I was wearing a tie this morning because my mother was here. I'm actually wearing a iron shirt because my mother is here. So, <laughs> um, and shoes. So, uh, anyways, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. We've been working through Acts. Last week Randy took a break for Father's Day. Um, and all of our sermons, all of his stuff is up online, so if you missed that, I know there's a lot of people that were out of town or traveling last week, you can go to iTunes, search Randy Jenkins, you'll find all his stuff on there, you can download it straight to your iPhone, iPod, it might even work for Android too, I don't know, so, um, anyways, today we're in Acts chapter 3, we're going to be reading the whole chapter, uh, so I'll just ask that you sit, um, stay seated while I read that for us. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they had daily laid at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. 
You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So a passage today in Acts 3 takes place as Peter and John are walking up to the temple. Okay, this is still very early in the life of the church. And we can see that the, the followers of Jesus are still following the customs and the traditions of the Jews. They still consider themselves Jews. And so as they go up, um, this was, they had three prescribed times of prayer. So they had a time early in the morning. They had one uh, in the afternoon. This was about 3 p.m. And they had another one at sundown. Okay? And so we see that they're still taking part in the customs. They're going up to the temple. They're still praying with the people. Um, but in just a, just a few chapters, in just a few weeks as, as we go through Acts, we're going to see that all of that drastically changes. You know, we're going to see that as a result of Peter's sermon here, as a result of the persecution of the church that follows uh, Stephen's sermon and stoning, that the church scatters from Jerusalem, um, that they're being chased and persecuted by Paul or Saul everywhere that they go. Um, but here at this time, uh, the, the disciples of Jesus are still a part um, of the early church, of, of the synagogue here at the temple. You know, so on this afternoon, there's a paralyzed beggar. So he asks for money from Peter and John. And we don't really know much about this man other than the fact that we know that every day that, that somebody, his friends and family, would take him and bring him and lay him down at the temple gates. And really, if you think about this, and, and, and this is a perfect place to be if you're going to be a beggar. He's paralyzed for life. He's never walked before. And he's right outside of the temple so that as people are going up to worship God, as they're going to offer sacrifices, as they're going to offer their offerings, they see this man and they have pity on him. They feel guilty. They have compassion. Okay. Now, if you're a kid, pay attention to this. So you think on the way to church is the best time to ask for something. Okay? If you're like me, on the way to church... You know, you're getting ready Sunday morning, you flip over the stereo from whatever you normally have it on in the week, you put on the Christian radio station, you know, you, you start feeling a little more Christian, you're getting ready, you've got your nice clothes on, you're getting ready, you're going there. And so, as you're getting ready to go to church, you're, you're a little more in tune with what a good Christian should do. Okay, is anybody kind of like that? I'm, I'm kind of like this. And so, if you see someone in need, or someone asks you of something, and you know this is what a good Christian should do, you're more likely to give it to them. Okay. This, now, this is also why we did the offering in the middle of the service instead of the end of the service. Okay. At the end of the service, people are thinking a little bit too much about Piccadilly's or Grandma's house or wherever they're going for dinner. So we do the offering in the middle while you're still feeling more Christian than hungry. Okay. So if you're still feeling more Christian than hungry, you're going to give more. If it's at the end of the service, you're just going to be out the door. Um, that's just really a joke. It's not really true. I don't think. So as the man goes through his spiel and, and he sees Peter and, Peter and John and he's asking them for alms. Okay, he's asking them, sirs, please give me something. So Peter, it says, the scripture says he, Peter directed his gaze at him as did John. And not only did he direct his gaze at him, but he said, look at us. Okay. So just for a second, think about this. This man has been begging his entire life. Okay, he's probably done okay. Obviously he's still alive. He's, his friends, his family have taken care of him. But think of how many times people must have just walked past him 
without even stopping to look at him. You know, the, the good Christian or the good Jewish person that's walking past, they see someone begging, they reach in their pockets, they throw out some pennies, they're thinking, okay, I did my good Christian, my good Jewish thing. And, and, and how often would someone even stop and speak with, even look at this man? And that's what Peter and John do. You're just from their body language, just from them looking at this man, we can tell that they had been emboldened by the Holy Spirit. If you think back to the end of, end of Luke, we think back to the end of the Gospels, that, that Jesus foretold that Peter was going to deny him three times. Okay, remember that? Jesus is, is, uh, has been arrested. Peter goes. He's kind of hanging around in the garden. And there's three times people ask him if he, if he knows Jesus, if he's been with Jesus. The last time, it's a little slave girl that goes up and asks Peter. Okay? And Peter's terrified by this little girl. And he says no, and then he runs away. And so now we see that completely, just from his body language, he's been changed. That the Spirit of God already is at work in him. We're going to see from his sermon how different Peter and John are now from what they were just a few days before. You know, a Christian, emboldened by the Spirit, acts differently from other people. You know, they don't just act differently on Sunday morning when we're feeling very Christian. But, but a Christian acts differently on Monday morning. You know, on Sunday night on Saturday evening, you know, all the different times of the week. Uh, a Christian has been changed from the inside out, and they will carry themselves differently. And, and Charles Spurgeon says that, you know, how can we know that we've been changed? He says this. He says, if a man doesn't live differently from what he did before, his repentance needs to be repented of, and his conversion is a fiction. Okay, harsh words. That if you have not been changed by the Spirit of God, if you are living the exact same life, if you've not been emboldened by the Spirit, that it may be, as Spurgeon said, that you need to repent of your repentance. That too many people play the role of good Christian without actually being emboldened by the Spirit to live as Christians. So Peter demands this man's attention, and he says, look at us. You know, he gives them the, the meet the parents' eyes, right? You know, okay, I'm watching. Look, look at me. Um, he tells the man, I can't give you any money. But, but what I can do is that in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then he grabs the man and he lifts him up and immediately, it says the man leaped up. You know, by the way, modern science, modern medicine cannot touch this miracle of Peter. You know, think about, we've got some amazing doctors in Huntsville. None of them can do what Peter did here. This is just as amazing as any of the miracles that, that, that Jesus did. He, this man had never walked before in his life, and immediately his legs are made strong, and he leaps up. No, that's not possible without a series of surgeries, months, if not years, of physical therapy. It doesn't happen. But Scripture tells us that what is impossible with man is possible with God. So the man gets up, and he begins walking for the very first time in his life, and for the first time, he carries himself into the temple. Think how amazing that would be. That he's been sitting at the gate outside of the temple every day begging. And here he is. He gets up. He takes himself in. And what does he do? He praises God. And everybody else immediately recognized that this man was the man who'd been lying down by the gate. And they immediately come up. The scripture says that they were praising God. They join them, and then everybody else rushes up to see 
what is going on? You know, this man is praising the Lord. He's leaping around. He's dancing. He's just so excited about his newfound gift of walking. You know, have you ever gotten out of the bed before and just got so excited that you could take two steps? Some of you guys probably know what I'm talking about. And so Peter, he sees the moment, he sees that as the people come around him, he, takes the, he sees that he has this perfect opportunity to begin telling people about Jesus. He seizes the moment and begins to preach. Okay. The rest of our time this morning is going to be spent looking at this sermon of Peter. It, we'll, we'll look at a couple things. Um, the first one is, is that we recognize that it is God that is at work, and not Peter and not John. Okay. God is the one that is, that is actually doing things. We see that God is the one that first transformed Peter. God is the one that transformed John. God is the one that is working, that as Peter grabs this man, God is the one that heals his hands. Secondly, we see that as, as he begins to preach, Peter confronts the people with their sin. Okay, they, they didn't realize what they had done. See, what they had done was they had been given Jesus. They had been given the author of life, and what they did with him was they despised him, they turned him over, they, they sent him to be crucified. They, even as Pilate um, offered to, to, to set free another man, um, they murdered, the Bible says they murdered the author of life. Okay, so they're confronted with the reality of our sin, the devastating fact of their sin. This is number two. Okay, with, they, Peter exposes their sin and shows them what's going wrong in their life. And the final, the final thing we're going to look at today is that this idea, and Peter offers, immediately he exposes their sin and then he offers hope. And we see that the grace of God is far more powerful than we could ever understand. Okay, that if God is able to offer redemption and forgiveness to the people that murdered Jesus, he can offer it to anyone. So Peter begins his sermon by asking one of the most obvious questions ever. Okay? He says, why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us? And the obvious answer is, well, look what happened. There's this guy, he was, he was paralyzed for his whole life, and now he's up, and he's walking around, he's praising God, he's making this commotion. Did we mention that he's walking? You know, he had never been able to move his feet before, and now he's up and he's walking. What gives? how this happened? That's what the people want to know. How did you do it, and what's your secret? So they want this great explanation from Peter and John, and the explanation they're going to get is going to really blow them away. You know, normally, if you or I do some good deed that other people notice, you know, it's really easy to kind of take a little bit of that credit for yourself. You know, a great example would be a mission trip. You know, this is kind of fresh on my mind since we're just back from the DR. You know, so in about a month, like, we're going to get together, all of our people, round up as many as we can. We're going to be over in the Cooper house. We're going to be talking about all the great and awesome things that God did on our trip, all the not-so-awesome things that happened. You know, we're going to talk about all of that. And if we're not really, really careful, it can be very easy for us to take a lot of the credit on ourselves. You know, it can get easy to kind of puff ourselves up and think, I'm such a good person for going. I'm such a good person for doing this. And instead of praising the God who orchestrated the trip, we can want to praising the people who attended the trip. Okay. So instead of allowing God to receive the glory, we can allow man to receive the glory for something God did. You know, did the people on our trip get to witness some amazing, incredible things that God was doing? 
Um, absolutely. Did they get to see God work through them? Absolutely. But the whole time it was God working. You know, everybody else was just kind of along for the ride. And when God is at work, you know, we often look to other people to try to give credit to them instead of giving credit to God. Look and see what, what, what Peter says then. He asked the people, you know, where is your stare? Why, O oh men of Israel, God's chosen people, when you see something that the only possible explanation would be that God is at work, why are you looking to us for answers? And he says, why do you assume, I love this, this is, um, this is verse 12, as though by our own power or piety that we have made this man walk. Why do you look at us as though something we did made this happen? You know, it's so blunt, it's so contradictory to everything that we think. We look at things and we see God at work and we think, oh, that person is just a better Christian than I am. This person just has a stronger faith. That person just has this amazing ability. And then we give all the credit to all the different people instead of giving credit to God. And so Peter jumps all over that and immediately he calls attention to God. He says, it's not us, but it's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says it was faith in the name of Jesus, the one you killed, that faith healed this man. You know, so if somebody ever catches us doing something good, you know, we have to be very, very quick to do the same thing that Peter and John did here. You know, it wasn't me. Truly, it wasn't. It was faith in Christ through me. You know, the real me, and I'm just speaking for myself, you know, the wicked, sinful version of me, I only do good things because I want people to see what I'm doing. I want praise. I want some kind of reward. I want some kind of recognition. Okay, that's the sin nature of me. When I, if I do something good, and it doesn't happen very often, but if I do something good, I want people to see that and give me the credit for it. Does anybody? But instead, what he says is that we need to be very, very careful about what we do. Jesus even warned about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. He said to never let our left hand know what our right hand is doing when it comes to giving to the poor. He knew that it didn't take very much for Christians to become so puffed up and proud of the things that God was doing. You know, why, why did he say that? Should we not feel good about our ability to give and to, you know, to give to the poor? Absolutely. But with the recognition that it's God, the, God is the one that gave us whatever it is that we could give in the first place. That we're just being stewards of the resources that God has already placed in our lives. But if God is doing something in my life, if God is doing something in your life, if he is at work in us, that other people notice, we need to use that as an opportunity to give God glory. And that's exactly what Peter and John did here. You know, every opportunity a Christ follower needs to draw the focus to Christ. There's no special power or piety, there's no special holiness that you can obtain, but when the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, God of the universe works through his people, it should never be a secret. People should never be asking us what happened because it should be clearly evident that God is at work in our lives. Again, God's the one that's orchestrating this all together. We're just along for the ride. You're next, and, and this part kind of makes us a little bit uncomfortable. You know, Peter begins to confront the people of their sin. He doesn't mince words here at all. 
He, he doesn't try to sidestep the issue of sin and immediately offer up grace through Jesus Christ. You know, he's not afraid to speak the truth of the true condition of their hearts. Instead, like I said, he tells them that they murdered the author of life. And that the prophet Moses had warned centuries earlier, unless they repent and trust in him, they were to be destroyed from the people. That's the consequences of their sin. You know, there is a real problem that they're hopeless to solve on their own. And we all must come to this conclusion in our own lives as well. That we need to understand that sin is a real serious problem in our lives. And that Jesus is the antidote to that as opposed to just being something cool and something new. You know, Oswald Chambers says this. He said, not being reconciled to the fact of sin, not recognizing it and refusing to deal with it, produces all the disasters of life. If we go through our lives and pretend like our sin isn't there and pretend like it's no big deal, if we try to ignore it and sweep it under the rug, Oswald Chambers says that that produces all the disasters in life is when we never deal with sin. You know, sin is a big problem that requires a big solution. But in order to accept the solution, you have to believe there's a problem. You think about your car. You know, if you're going to let a mechanic do thousands of dollars of work to repair your car, you better believe that that car is broken in the first place. You're not just going to take him, your perfectly working car, and say, hey, go and fix everything you find. Unless you really trust your mechanic. But other people, right? You don't just take a car that's perfectly working and take it into the shop and have it get fixed. You know, but, but if your car is actually broken, you know, if, if you're going to be stuck on the side of the road and your engine's on fire and you're just stuck there with it, there's no other option except to get it fixed. So, so if your car is broken, it needs, it needs fixed. And the same with our lives. If our lives are broken, if sin is in our lives, we need to address it. This is what Charles Spurgeon says on conviction of sin. He says that people are not healed before they are wounded and brought into a certainty of justification without ever having lamented their condemnation. God never clothes men unless he first stripped them nor does he quicken them by the gospel unless, till they first, they're slain by the law. Okay, without a proper view of sin, we can never have a proper view of the cross. We can't. If we don't believe our sin is that bad, then we actually don't believe that Jesus is that good. You know, so in truth, we're all affected by sin. And the effect is so encompassing and the sin so surrounds us that oftentimes we don't even realize that there's anything there. You know, because we're swimming in sin, our friends are swimming in sin. You know, it seems like the normal thing. You know, what could be wrong? Yet Peter tells us that if we do nothing, he says if they fail to listen to Jesus, if we fail to believe his words, if we fail to believe that the only way to the Father is through him, and if we fail to repent, that we'll be destroyed from his people. That's what he says. So he doesn't tell the people that they should just have faith because it's the right thing to do or the fun thing to do, or hey, I started this new club, you guys should join it. You know, Peter preaches that they must put their faith in the cross of Christ if they want to have any hope at all. And that in order to take the medicine of Jesus, we must come face to face with the affection of our sin. And we have to realize and understand that on our own, we're completely hopeless. And so again, Peter exposes that sin. He tells them what they did. He, he lets them see that they didn't just kill a man, they killed God that the holy and righteous one, this Messiah that they've been waiting for, the one that they had been praying for, 
that that was the one that God sent to them, and what did they do with him? They stuck him and nailed him to the cross, and they killed him. But that God raised him from the dead, and they were the witnesses of that. You know, so there's no getting around sin. There's nothing they could do about this fact. It's already happened. You know, but Peter doesn't leave them there, and he doesn't leave us there. You see, without, without facing our sin, you can't repent. You know, it, this brings us to our final point, is that God's grace is far more powerful than we could ever believe or hope for. And we understand that, that if there's hope for these men, if there's hope for the ones that killed the chosen Messiah, there's definitely hope for you and me. You know, the people did sin, and even though they did so in ignorance, the Bible says, it says that you guys didn't know what you were doing, you are being persuaded by your rulers, your leaders, but the sin is still on you. And Peter doesn't crush them with the weight of their sin and leave them in agony, and instead he offers them hope. You know, what can I do when I get to the point when I realize that I'm a far worse sinner than I ever imagined? My only option is to repent and put my faith in Jesus. For it's only he, it says, who's able to blot out my sins. He's able to give true refreshment to our souls. As, a, as we begin to listen to him, as we begin to walk with him, then we understand the true mercy and grace of Jesus. Now Peter says that Jesus is the one that all the prophets spoke of through the ages. He is the only one who is able to blot out sin. He's the true blessing offered to Abraham. He's the holy servant and righteous one of God. And our only hope is to trust in his name. And I'll give you uh, one more quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this about salvation. He says that Jesus, that either Jesus bore all of our sin or none. And he either saves us once for all or not at all. That's what Peter says. And he says this to us. He says it's then is that our only hope is through Christ. And that if we repent, if we have faith in Christ, that our sin is completely gone, is completely taken away. That's it. But if we don't, then none of our sins have been forgiven. We're not saved at all. You know, those of us who have never truly believed that our sin was a big deal, you know, who have been trying to deal with it on our own, these words are for you. These words are for me. Those of us who have been believers for before you can remember, you know, but we're burdened by our circumstances in life where we're not sure if we've ever really had faith. These words are for us. You remember that when God is at work in our lives, we've got to be quick to give him the glory and the praise. You know, the Bible tells us again that our sin is a big deal. It's not something that we can mess with on our own. It's not something we can ever do anything about alone. It was such a big deal that the only possible solution was for God to make himself to a man, to come to this earth, to be crucified for it. And he did that because of the consequences of unbelief in him is destruction in both this life and forever. You know, but the most important thing we can possibly think of, though, is to remember that God's grace is greater than any and all of our sin. Again, these men killed Jesus. They killed God. And yet here, Peter offers them hope and forgiveness. The unforgivable are being forgiven. You know, this hopeless, paralyzed man who'd been lame from birth is offered total restoration and complete healing through the name and power of Jesus Christ. And so to those of us today who are paralyzed by our sin or held hostage by our guilt or embittered by our circumstances in life, or maybe we're just like these guys, ignorant of all of that, God offers to us this total restoration. You know, the lame walk, 
the murderers are pardoned, the author of life has been raised again, and if we turn from our sin and we repent and we turn to God, then we can enjoy that life with Him. So let's pray. Holy and righteous Lord, God, we come to you today reminded of who you are, God, and of who we are. Lord, it's a blessing and a privilege to see you at work in this world and in this place. Jesus, thank you for using ordinary men like Peter and John to do extraordinary things. God, thank you for using people in our lives to bring us face to face with our sin. God, and, and, and so rarely we think we have problems. God, we're, we're quick to forget about our sin, but God, we're so slow to repent and ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, just bring us face to face with our current condition. And God, I ask that you would move in our hearts. Lord, that you would recognize, let us recognize that we really do need you. God, that we're completely hopeless without you. Lord, forgive us for the times that we take credit for the things that you're doing in our life. Or that we give credit to others the things that you're doing. God, make us bold witnesses like Peter and John who take advantage of opportunities to speak about your great love. Lord, and thank you so much for loving us enough to die on the cross in our place. Father, we pray that you would work in us. Lord, that you would restore and refresh us and fill us with your spirit. It's in the beautiful and holy and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.